and I was always good about putting systems in place. I had to, because I had seven kids and I, I used to be so disorganized, no structure. Mm. And, um, I, so I, I didn't have a lot of money. So I'd go to the library and get all these books. This was before you could get an audible or, you know, Google stuff. We didn't have mm. all that back then. And I started studying time management and I started trying to get organized because I, again, I didn't want to have this, you know, crazy disorganized life. So I learned it. And I think, honestly, I think that's the reason that I am effective as a trainer is because I don't try to act like I'm perfect because I'm not. And I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm not too afraid to admit it. And I think people drop their guard a little bit and just listen because they're like, oh, wow. Because you're authentic. Yeah, if she can, so could I. With no limitations, what does your perfect day look like? What if it's possible to live like that every day? Would you wake up after 9am, have perfect health, maybe fire your boss, have the money and freedom to do what you love most? The world is your oyster. Where would you be? Who would you be with? The possibilities are endless. Whether you believe it's possible for you or not, you can make more, work less and live free. Welcome to Freedom Hack Radio, where entrepreneur, best-selling author, world traveler and adventurer, Bryce Robertson and special guests crack the code on money, health, relationships, spirituality and having fun doing what you love most. Be inspired to create your own self-designed freedom lifestyle. Welcome back to another episode of Freedom Hack Radio. I'm your host, Bryce Robertson. And today, my friends, we have a very special guest, Miss Janine Avia. And Janine is a success story many times over. She's overcome endless challenges, which to be honest, most people out there would let these challenges crush them. Um, I'm very inspired by uh, Janine. I'm super excited to have her here today. And then for those of you who don't know about Janine, Janine has over 30 years of experience in the direct sales industry, both in executive positions and as a top income producer. Her sense of humor, boundless energy and heart for people and the hallmarks of her her career and the keys to her success. As a corporate executive, Janine held the position of Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing at several national companies. She was named one of the top 50 trainers in the world in the direct sales industry. I'm going to repeat that. She was named one of the top 50 trainers in the world in the direct sales industry. She has served as a trainer for the Direct Selling Association, the world's most prestigious industry association. Janine's depth of experience as a top performing networker, successful corporate executive, keynote speaker, success strategist, and trainer are instrumental in her position as HWH World Vice President of Operations, North America. Janine, welcome to Freedom Hack Radio. It's a pleasure to have you here with us today, mate. Wow, thank you. Pretty exciting <laughs> introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> you know, another fun fact for our Freedom Hackers right now is that on episode 19 of Freedom Hack Radio, our special guest spoke about overcoming gout by, you know, dedicating himself to being vegan and, and dedicating himself to being an athlete. And then he goes on to compete in the Ironman World Championships in Kona in Hawaii. And that special guest is Brian Acosta, who happens to be your son. Yeah, he does. And I was there, went to Kona and, uh, you know, I was, I've, I've been 
uh, pretty happy to be able to watch his journey as well. And now that he's getting older, dare I say, he'll come back every now and then and say, mom, remember when you told us this and remember how you taught us that? It really helped. And a lot of, so I guess the message is for a lot of you parents out there, a lot of the stuff where you pour into your kids and you're not really sure if they're listening or it's getting in, it, it does. It just takes a while sometimes and they come back later and tell you. So it's quite rewarding. Yeah, and hats off to you because, I mean, Brian's a heck of a guy. And for those of you who haven't caught episode 19 of Freedom Hack Radio yet, go back and listen to it. It's jam-packed with life-changing takeaways. You guys are going to really love it. Mm -hmm. So, Janine, I've got to start here, mate. This is where I like to always start. What's given you the most gratitude today? Mm. I'm just, the most gratitude today is just the ability to be able to I don't know, be of contribution to people. I mean, like when people come back to me, whether it's my own son, Brian, or somebody I barely knew or somebody who heard a speech, when they come back and say that one thing made a difference, uh, it's very rewarding and it's really good for the heart. And I, I really enjoy that. Beautiful, beautiful. That's amazing. Yeah. So let's let's dial the clock back a little bit now and let's go back to uh, the earlier stages of your motherhood. I mean, you're a single mother of five children. What was that like and how did that play a role in everything you've done entrepreneurially? You know, it's interesting because, um, you know, I never wanted to be a single mom. I, I didn't believe in divorce. I was like, I thought that I never even wanted to work, although I've had a very storied business career. That was never my intention, Bryce. I wanted to be a stay at home mom. I didn't want to work. I wanted to like be there when the school bus pulled up and handing, you know, home baked cookies to the kids. That was my vision. White picket fence, dad's off at work. Um, and that's not what it, what happened. And I remember sitting on my couch in, in Aptos, California, and just plopping down and head and hands and crying and then saying, you know what? I don't want to be this broke, suffering, single mom. And I saw so many people who were like, I'm a single mom. And it's like they wore it like an albatross around their neck. Mm. I'm a single mom. And it was it's a victim mentality. And I was a single mom, but I, I made a decision. And I think that's where the lesson is. I made a decision that although I had five kids and was I scared? Yes. I didn't know how I was going to do it. I didn't know if I'd be able to support everybody. I just didn't know. And, um, but I made a decision that I just didn't want to have a shitty life, <laughs> you know, and I didn't want my kids to have this, you know, compromised lifestyle with less than and well, it's like a brand. It's like, because I'm a single mom, I'm suffering, or mm. you should feel sorry for me because I'm a single mom, or we have less, the odds are against us. And, and I just, I didn't want that for myself. And mm. I made a personal decision not to allow that and to overcome it. That's how I ended up in direct sales because I was like, how can I still be the, the Donna Reeds? You might be too young to know who that is. You guys will have to Google it. Mm -hmm. uh, the Donna Reed lifestyle. And that was the mom where the dad went off to work and blah, blah. And she's there. How can I do that? 
And um, so I, I'm a strong believer in whatever happens to you, you can, everything's figure outable. That's what I would always tell my kids. <laughs> everything's figure it out, figure it out. Keep thinking you haven't figured it out yet. And so that's what I decided to do. So how can I have what I want? I wanted my kids in sports. I wanted them to have, I wanted to go to their field trips and show up at their schools and be a room mother and all that. But how could I do that when I had to work? That's what led me to direct sales because I found a way that I could be my own boss, AKA freedom. Um, I could have the freedom to live the life I really wanted to be the mom and not let my circumstances control me. So I was trying to figure it out. And that's how I uh, got into direct sales. Um, the reason was because I, the underlying goal was I wanted to be a great mom. And I remember, this is kind of crazy, but I remember looking over my shoulder into the back seat. And I had this station wagon with three seats and you know the rear one faced out the back. You guys, you know, those are, those were the thing. And I remember looking back and I knew these kids were counting on me to figure it out. Mm. And I remember looking back and saying, don't ever let me forget what it's like, how, how much I appreciate them when they're little. Cause I, the thing I, I may, maybe another thing Bryce said, I'm really grateful for is that I was always aware that I was grateful for the opportunity to have these kids. Like I knew it was going to go by quick and it did. It went, my baby is turning 40 next week. Mm. So I knew it was going to go by in the blink of an eye. And it doesn't, a lot of people are not thinking about that when your kids are all fighting and taking stuff out of the bathroom and messing up your desk and doing all the things that they do. Uh, it's not always where you're going to think, oh, I'm going to miss this someday. But I had that and I knew I was going to miss this someday. And I remember looking at them and it was like I took a mental snapshot and I thought, this is the best of life right here. And um, how can I make it work? So that's what drove me to try to figure it out so I could be there for them and for myself and to have, I, I guess I, I don't know, if, I never really gave up on what I wanted for myself mm -hmm. and my family. And that's probably the driver that kept me doing things that I didn't really want to do when I didn't want to do it because it was, I knew it was going to be hard, but it was worth it. And that was kind of a long answer, but. Um, so it sounds to me like you had uh, clarity on what your reason why is, and that's mm -hmm. so powerful because that is the thing that helps us get through challenges because challenges are going to come. That's for sure. We can guarantee that business life, anything challenges will be there. Um, but you had, you had a moment, a pivotal moment where you just went, my life, I'm not digging this. I have to make a radical shift. And you had that clarity. So was this something that was spontaneous? Um, had you been seeking something like this? Um, had you been involved in self-development? How did you get the clarity to make that decision right then? Um, you know, I didn't grow up with self-development or anything like that. Uh, but I did. I was watching a television show, Johnny Carson show, which some people will mm -hmm. remember. And um, Wayne Dyer, mm. who was... Uh, a young author and he had just written his first book and it was called your erroneous sons and they were making fun of it on the show and saying it's like not your erogenous zones it's your erroneous zones 
And um, I watched this interview and I remember him saying, your life is your responsibility. And you mm -hmm. can't blame your parents or your circumstances. And then he said, he laughed and he said, you can do that till you're like 21. But at some point you have to take responsibility mm -hmm. and fix whatever it is you don't like. Mm -hmm. And it was the perfect thing for me to hear uh, because I, I really took that in and I'm like, this isn't anybody's fault. It doesn't matter. It's just what happened. And now what are you going to do? And that's where my sort of my life mantra, it's not what happens to you in life, but it's how you respond to it that matters. And I knew I'm not going to act like I would never fell into victim or it wasn't like all of that. But I was, I bought that book and I really couldn't afford it but I had enough wisdom to know I couldn't afford not to. And I bought it and I read it a couple of times and I started to realize, and I'd catch myself falling into victim or wrong thinking. I'd never read anything like that. Which yeah. is an interesting part of the story is I later met Wayne Dyer and I got to sit down and talk to him and uh, tell him the story of what a difference he made in my life. And that was like a, priceless moment in my life when I got to meet him. Um, and there's that moment of gratitude that you experienced earlier for someone to come back and say something like that to you too. So you kind of came full he, circle on that one. Yeah. That's what he told me. He actually just, he was what I thought he would be. And, you know, sometimes they say never meet your heroes because you're just, you'll be disappointed, but it's kind of cynical because when I met him, he was, he was really wonderful. And he touched my face and he said, what a sweet face. You know, he was just, he was as kind as he, I thought he would be. Yeah, and he was yeah. interested in my story and he was interested in the contribution. And mm -hmm. I still keep in touch with his daughter. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, but if that was a, that was a pivotal, uh, I want to say like a, a turning point in my life. And it was just about taking responsibility for my own life and not feeling and acting like a victim. And he said, guilt is the most useless emotion. Mm. And I was feeling a lot of guilt, like, oh, why did my husband leave me? I should have been, I should have done better, like all this stuff. And um, he said, guilt's the most useless emotion. You can't do anything about it. It doesn't change anything. That's the energy bust. better spent changing thinking about what you're gonna do instead mm. of lamenting about what you did wrong and that was amazing advice for me yeah and so you say you know all you had to do is just do that but and simple concepts but huge astronomical shift that we can have in our lives when we make that decision to just own our shit and just go yeah like circumstances happened um but, you know, and everybody's had their own set of challenges. There's nobody that's, that would be free by the age of 21 with no challenges. It's just, everybody's going to have right. challenges. So we've all got shit to work through. And to own that, I mean, what was it like once you owned that? And how did that show up in your life? What, what happened as a result of that? You know, when you make better decisions and, and you, there's freedom in that, believe it or not. And I think people don't because they, you know, they're just not thinking about it right. But there's there's a amount of space that gets freed up on your hard drive in your mind. When you stop feeling guilty and worrying and wondering what you should have did, you just take responsibility and basically say, I fucked up. <laughs> That's it. We all do, you know? And it's like, where do I go from here? Now, now what am I going to do? Everybody yeah. does it. And it's this kind of 
we're trying to be perfect and we're not willing to tell ourselves. And that's the thing. I just had a conversation with a young man last week and I said, it doesn't matter that you lied to me. What's worse is that you're lying to yourself. Mm, that's yeah. the bigger problem totally. Totally. because you can't lie to yourself. You can, but it, you, you end up, it's like sweeping stuff under the rug and hoping you don't trip on it later. And we you pay will. the price. We pay the you price. Do. For you sure. do. There's a lot of price to it, but that, so there's freedom and just saying, okay, here's what I did wrong. And it's, there's a business book called good to great by Jim Collins. And the yeah. principle is going back and analyzing what went wrong. And it's, and I've, I've said this over and over in my business career, because sometimes people say, well, we don't have to talk about that. We're not looking people to blame. And I said, I'm not trying to blame anybody. I'm trying to look at it to figure out what went wrong so we don't repeat it. And there's a difference in that. And it's kind of, you got to kind of be like a fire inspector trying to see what caused the fire. And if you don't do that, you keep repeating the same mistakes. And there's a level of freedom and growth that occurs when you're brave enough uh, and you drop the pride and you drop the fear of not looking good, you know, fear mm, of looking good, yeah. that's a huge trap. But when you do that and you're able to say, oh, wow, you know what? I ignored the red flags that were obvious. And this is why this happened. Lesson, don't do that again. And then it's like, okay, you know, and, and to me, there's a lot of freedom and there's joy in that because you don't stay stuck in things for so long. Mm -hmm. um, and you just, you just move forward. And again, I think that's the secret. And you've had consistency of moving forward in your life. And we're going to dig deeper on a lot of those things as this uh, conversation unfolds. Something that you deepened on is you were in the position, five kids, single mom, and then uh, something happened. And then you expanded, <laughs> you expanded that situation. Do you, do you want to unpack that one for us? I do. It's a crazy story and it's turned out to be somewhat of my claim to fame because, and it was never intentional on my part. My son, Brian, who you referred to, uh, was in the eighth grade and he had a friend that was at our house all the time. His name was also Brian. And he was at our house quite a bit. At, but what I noticed was nobody ever called and checked on this kid. And one day I said to Brian, what's his story? because the kids didn't have cell phones back then. And um, usually the parents would call and say, you know, oh, it's so-and-so there. He's got to go to work, wake him up, send him home, whatever. There was always communication with the parents. Nobody ever checked on this kid. And he was at my house a lot overnight and over the weekends. And anyway, I, I kind of fell in love with him. He was charming. And uh, Brian said, well, he's in a foster home and they don't care about him. Hmm. And you know, Brian was 14. And so 14 year olds are 14 year olds. I'll leave it at that. And so when Brian <laughs> said that to me, that could have not been correct. And I knew it. Um, so I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, they don't care about him. And he, they said, they, they actually like it when he's gone. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, they're mean to him. And I'm like, what? And he started, I said, that, that doesn't make any sense, Brian. And Bryce at the time, this was 1983. I didn't know that foster parents were paid. I thought that if you took foster kids in, it was because you love kids and you're doing something voluntary to help. I, I truly, naive as it was, I didn't know they got paid. So Brian 
my 14 year old son <laughs> proceeds to educate me. And he says, well, they get paid a lot of money for having teenagers there that were in a group home. So they just have them there for the money, but they don't really care about them. And another, I think, thing that served me well in my life is I always do my homework. Somebody okay. tells me something. Yeah. I always am, I investigate it myself. Check. So I know. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I said, I'm going to take him home. I want to, I'm going to check this out. So we got him in the car and we went home and, and I asked him about his home life and he's telling me all of this. So I'm just taking it all in and I go up to the door and I meet the foster mom and appeared to be correct what they were telling me. I was trying to introduce myself and saying, you know, he spends a lot of time at my student care. And then she pointed in and she said, and he's got a brother and his brother's a big sad sack. He never smiles. And I looked and I saw this other kid and he, he did look sad, but to me it was, it wasn't irritating. It was heartbreaking. I'm like, what mm -hmm. is going on here? And I was irritated by the way the foster mother was treating him. And I just said, something's not right. So I dropped Brian off. We went home. I talked to my, my Brian at the time. And um, how long has he been there? I was just asking questions and curious. And um, two days later, Bryce, I'm sitting in my office and I had these glass doors and I could see, I had a detached garage that I had turned into my office. And this pickup pulls up in the driveway. If they ever made a movie about my life, the scene has to be in it because it's etched in my mind. And this pickup pulls up in the driveway and I, I didn't, I'm like looking through, what is this? And then I see Brian Acosta, who you know, get out. And then here comes the other Brian, Brian Lilly, my other son now. And he jumps out and I see them. And then I see the other kid, Dan, the brother who I just seen on the couch at the foster home. He jumps out and then here comes two cardboard boxes dumped on the driveway and the pickup backs out. And I see Brian motion for them to you know wait right here. Like I'm gonna go talk to her. So he comes in and he tells me that mom, they've run away from the foster home. They're sick and tired of it. And they're going to get emancipated. I always, to this day, I, I tell this story on stage and I say, Brian told me three lies. And one of them was they have jobs and um, they're going to get emancipated. And then he said, they don't eat much. And then he said, I'm going to, we, I had a three bedroom home at the time two bedrooms upstairs, boy, five kids, three girls in one bedroom, two boys in the other, and I was downstairs. And Brian says to me, I'll share my room with them because I know that you probably don't want them to live in the house. Um, I'll share everything I have with them and they don't eat much and they're going to get jobs. And these kids were 14 and 15. That's pretty I'm cool just that like, Brian had that heart at 14 I years know. old. Usually that's 14 years old don't care about that kind of stuff. That's right. That's really he cool. really did. He said that and he said, I'll share everything I have with them. And I said, well, go in there and you guys get something to eat. And let me think. Like, I'm like, what am I get? This is not your average situation. Let me think about it. So I said, all right, you guys come in here. So Brian brought them into my office and I he said, what happened? And did something happen? No, we're just miserable. They don't care about us. We're going to get jobs. We're going to get our own place. We quit school, all of this. I'm like, you're not thinking right. So I said, who's in charge of you? And Dan, who's now my oldest son, 
pulled this little card, which I have uh, in a photo album, which I made their like baby books. Because uh, when you get 14 and 15 year old boys, you know, uh, and he handed me this card and it was all folded in half. He had it in his wallet and it was County of Santa Cruz social worker. And his name was John Tuck. And he said, this is the guy that's the social worker that's in charge of us. So I said, all right, what? you guys can stay here, go eat. Let me figure out what to do. And I thought, I got to call this guy. I can't just keep these kids here. I could get in trouble for this. And so I called and he wasn't there, but I spoke to somebody else. And this is literally what they said to me. Um, that foster home's as good as any. I said, they're in a bad foster home. They're at my house. They're safe. I just wanted, I don't know what to do. I want to notify somebody that they're here. And they literally told me that foster home's as good as any. Do you know how hard it is to place 14 and 15 year old boys uh, that are troubled? So uh, my advice is don't let them stay there. They said this, do not feed them. And a day or two on the street, they'll go back to the foster home. That was the advice they gave me. And I was floored. I'm like, it's like they were like a stray cat. Like don't I was just them. about to say that. Exactly. Yeah. That's I couldn't believe it. And I hung up and I'm like, wow, okay. And I just, what's right? I knew what was right. And so I went out and I got all the kids together and I talked to them and I said, you can stay here, but you have to get go to school. And my son Dan loves to tell the story. And he said, I can't, I already quit and they won't let me back in. And I said, Oh, they'll let you back in. And so I took them with me and I called the county back and I said, I'm keeping them here. If it's illegal, somebody tell me, but if you want, I'm giving you notice, this is where they are, I'm gonna take care of them. And uh, they said, well, you can't really keep them there, blah, blah. So I had them, I went and enrolled them in school. I applied for a license to become a license. I said, well, how, how hard could it be to be a foster care mom if, I, I should, well, I wasn't going to say it, but you said I could cuss it. This bitch, you know, <laughs> these kids, if she's got them. Um, so I went to the county of Santa Cruz and I applied to be a foster mm. mom. Now, remember, I'm a single mom of five as it is. Mm. And uh, so they immediately wanted to reject my application. So I talked to this guy, John Tuck, and I said, I can take care of these kids. I have the capacity to do it. And um, so I told them, I, you know, let, what do we have to do? We had to go before the judge and the boys had to write letters that say why they wanted to live with me. I told them what the, I'm a firm believer of laying down the ground rules. And I did that with them. You will go to school. You can get jobs, but you're going to go to school and we don't have a lot, but when we have, when we have, everything will be equal here. You're going to be required to go by the rules and all of that. Mm -hmm. And so they did. And uh, the county of Santa Cruz ended up granting me custody of them as a wow. foster mom, which was kind of, I later learned, I didn't know, I learned 20 years later that this guy, John Tuck, put his job on the line and really felt that I could do it. He had spent time interviewing us and uh, he thought the boys had a better shot being with us than anywhere else. And this was so the he, same guy that did the, the stray cat thing earlier? Well, he came he's around? I, yeah, he's who I called, but he didn't answer the phone. It was somebody okay. else that said that. Gotcha, gotcha. And okay. uh, he cared about the boys. So I, as soon as I got them, uh, I had told the county of Santa Cruz I didn't want the money because I didn't want the boys to think that's why they were there. 
because wow. they had had this other experience that they only are here for the money. And it was my son, Dan, that came in the kitchen and he said, I heard you telling them you didn't want the money. And I said, I don't. I said, that's not why I'm doing this. I want to give you guys a shot, you know? And he said, well, um, I think you should take the money. And he said, we know you love us, but we need the money. We could buy a lot of food, take the money. And um, so I did, I said, okay, but we spend it on the kids. We'll spend it on you guys. And I needed the money. I truly did. But it was more important to me to make a point to them so they felt loved. And that was Huge. probably one of the greatest choices that I made. And I was just like, I, it just seemed right. So I went with it. Mm. Um, and he, like I said, he heard me and he said that. And so I did take the money. And when we got the first check, you know, we went to Costco and we bought all this <laughs> food and everybody had fun. And that's what we used to do with the money when it came. But one year later, I legally adopted them. And that would stop the funding, but it was more important for them. I don't want the county coming around and possibly yeah. moving them and doing all this stuff. I wanted them, the state out of my hair and I just wanted to take care of them. So after I was their foster mother for a year, then I had the right to legally adopt them, which I did. And we never changed their last name because I had two sons named Brian, that's confusing enough. <laughs> but um, they were 14 and 15 and I was going through my divorce at the time this happened and it's kind of important because what happened was I was going through my divorce and I was trying not to suffer and trying not to, you know, collapse and fall apart. And the fact that I took on these boys gave me something else to focus on that wasn't my own grief or my own self-pity mm. and to do something worthwhile and I'm not going to say it was always easy. It was tough because they had some damage from their earlier life, but we worked through it. We all kind of grew up together and figured it out. And it was interesting, Bryce, when the movie Blindside came out, mm. my oldest son, Dan, yeah. um, said to me, I, uh, I saw that movie and I'm like, what's so hard about that? She had a husband and a bunch of money. I'll tell yeah. you a story that was tough. <laughs> but I mean, it was a great story. But Dan, want, on his birthday, he wanted to watch that movie with me. And he said, I just, wow. he said, do you realize you've been my mom now longer than my birth mother? Mm. And um, I hadn't thought about it, but I had. Uh, he was 15 and I'd been his mom for like 20 years. And um, there's no difference in, I feel no difference between them and my natural children. And they know it. They're just, they blended into our family. And I personally think it's the greatest thing I ever did. The greatest choice because it was good for them. It was good for me. It was good for our family. And I enriched my own life tenfold by my grandkids. And the, the coolest part of the story, Bryce, is that, um, I guess it was about five years ago, we were back in Santa Cruz. I live in Dallas and everybody lives off in a different place. And I was at lunch with Dan and Brian. We were talking about John Tuck, the social worker. And I was telling them, I'm so glad he took a chance on us. And, and we were just expressing gratitude about it. And I thought, you know what, I'm gonna call and see if I could tell him. I thought, wouldn't it be cool for him to know they turned out? Both Brian and Dan, my adopted sons. 20 years later. All, huh? Yeah. And they have each adopted a child. Mm -hmm. And they have both have wow. marriages of over 20 years. 
So, so they, they, they've had their own children, these yes. boys, these, these, yep. they each brothers, have yeah. two of, and then yep. they've got their own children plus adopted children as well. Exactly. Wow. And so I was like, that's a pretty cool story. Like we broke the cycle and they've got successful marriages and, you know, we did it and we were kind of celebrating. We're at the wharf in Santa Cruz talking about it. So I picked up the phone and called the County of Santa Cruz and I asked for him and they told me he retired and she probably shouldn't have done it, but. I told her, I go, I was trying to find him because I adopted these boys 20 years ago and we're all together and we were just thinking about, we'd love to talk to him. And she gave me his phone number. So I called him and he answered and I told him who, I said, do you remember me? My name's Janine Avila. And before I could finish, he said, oh my God, of course I remember you. You took the lily, oh, this is making me choke up. <laughs> he said, you took in the lily boys. Mm. And I said, I did. And, and he said, how'd that turn out? And I said, well, they're sitting here. And I said, um, they both have been married 20 years and they each have a couple of kids and they've adopted kids on their own. They're great. And he said, oh my God, thank you for calling. He was so happy. And, and I said, they want to say hi to you. And they both went to speak to him. And I, I heard Dan say, thank you so much for giving us uh, a shot. We did it. And uh, he said, you did it. You, and he told them, you guys did it. You did all the work. All I did was give you a shot. And um, it was really wonderful to let that come full circle and let him know in his later, I don't even know if he's still alive because this was a while back um, and he was getting older, but we were able to let him know. And I think it's important to kind of sometimes close the loop on some things that this guy, you know, uh, had taken a chance and did yeah. something put his own job on the line and how rewarding for him to know that it turned out and the boys are great. And the other thing that's recently happened is they have healed the relationship with their birth parents, um, which was great. And I always wanted that. That's always the best thing that could happen. Um, and uh, they were just, they're just a wonderful addition to our family and my grandkids. And one of my granddaughters, Casey, my oldest son, she always says, Grandma, are you sure I don't have your DNA? Because I'm just like you. I think it's because you raised my dad and then I'm like him and I'm like you. And so it's kind of funny. That's it's just cool. kind of, it's just like the genetic thing. That's awesome. What a, what an amazing inspirational story. And, you know, listening to it unfold and the decisions you made, that's you know, hats off to you. And it sounds like it was super rewarding for you too. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's awesome. Let, let's change gears a little bit. And you actually moved on to uh, Tupperware and you actually got involved in Tupperware sales and then you broke record sales and you were recruiting in, in recruiting and rank advancements and um, you really knocked it out of the park here. So what's the story with that? That's one of my favorite questions because oftentimes people think it was like all about business and it wasn't. Um, what, why that happened was because my goal was to provide for my family. And that was the year, the year I broke the world's record in Tupperware was, uh, the year that the state of California quit paying for sporting equipment for kids. There's some proposition I don't remember passed and they didn't pay for sporting equipment. And I had three sons that were in football and in high school football, and I needed my kids to be in sports. 
because I needed them to have good coaches and good male role models around them and to learn the rules. And that's pretty funny because we fast forward and then Brian competed in the Ironman world championship. So obviously that paid off. So that was good. Good choice. I needed them to, you know, they had to get their aggressions out. You want to fight, go hit somebody, tackle, you know, knock a fumble loose or whatever. You got anchor here, direct it over here. So I, I knew that sort of inherently and I wanted them in sports. So I started, you know, like figuring out ways to do better so that I could have the money I needed to take care of my family. Mm-hmm. So kind of the underlying theme is I was always just trying to take care of my family. And um, I broke all kinds of records that year, but what it was driving me, it wasn't about Tupperware or the plastic or the business or the ranks, was that I was so happy that I was able to go to field trips and drive my kids to their sports. And I, I didn't want to miss it. And I didn't, I didn't miss it. I was there when they were on the soccer field or the wrestling mat or running at a track race or playing baseball or whatever it was, I was there. And um, I wanted that for other people. And that became my driving platform to moms and dads. Cause I used to talk to dads that were like, well, I will, I'd like to coach little league, but I can't, my job won't let me. So I became all about, I was a freedom fighter uh, back then. I became all about showing people how to get the freedom to do the things they wanted to do with their life. So if you had some extra money with that, do it, what could you do? And I used to approach it with that, that you can use that money to have the life you want so that you can be with your kids or be at home or whatever it is. And it later, what initially it was about being home with your kids so that you could coach the the little league team or those things you wanted to do. But later in my life, as I matured and learned more and developed, I realized it was more about freedom of self-expression to be able to be the person that you really wanted to be and not live in your life because the terms of somebody who had a company that you went to work for. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really be- self to me, true freedom is really being able to live life on your own terms so that yeah. you can achieve your own purpose, your own goals and be the person you really want to be, not some person that's just going through the motions, trying to get paid on Friday and personally hate that whole thank God it's Friday mentality. Yeah, because to totally. me, that's an outward sign of a shitty life, you know, yeah. that you can't wait till it's Friday. So you don't have to go there anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, we, we are so not designed to wake up early in the morning and do a daily grind and punch a time clock. The, the human race was not designed for that. That's something that we created in between. Um, that's awesome. And that's a really cool mindset. And that's a, that's an awesome way to articulate it. But this was happening in the 80s when this wasn't like a common talking point either of like, hey, what's your reason why and all this kind of stuff. That would have been some very out there. That would have been woo-woo stuff back Mm -hmm. in the 80s. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, and that's 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 awesome. Good for you. And then and then you went from there and then you expanded on top 50 trainers in the world and direct sales. Like that's just that's mind-boggling. What what's the story there? I know that surprised me too when I got that. I was like, I and because you already seen my style, I'm not a big polished trainer. Like mm. I don't you know, I don't know. I just talk to people about what's real and what's worked for me. My experiences are not theoretical. They're not things I think might work. I I should probably 
just talk about all the accidental success I've had <laughs> because I'll try things and they work. And so when I speak and train, I'm coming from a place of, hey, I used to suck at this too. And here's what I did to improve. And I think I'm relatable because I'm not mm -hmm. preaching. I'm, I'm not, um, you know, I'm, I'm preaching what I practice. I'm just yeah. saying, this is what I learned when I failed at this. I just didn't give up and I, I did this and then it got better. And I was always good about putting systems in place. I had to, cause I had seven kids and I, I used to be so disorganized, no structure. Mm. And, um, I, so I, I didn't have a lot of money. So I'd go to the library and get all these books. This was before you could get an audible or, you know, Google stuff. We didn't have mm. all that back then. And I started studying time management and I started trying to get organized because I, again, I didn't want to have this, you know, crazy disorganized life. So I learned it. And I think, honestly, I think that's the reason that I am effective as a trainer is because I don't try to act like I'm perfect because I'm not. And I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm not too afraid to admit it. And I think people drop their guard a little bit and just listen because they're like, oh, wow. Because you're authentic. Yeah, if she can, so could I. And that's what I want. I heard Jim Rohn say, your life can be an example or a warning. And be mm. careful because people are watching. Yeah. And I, I thought about that. And I thought, I'm in a position. I've got all these kids. Kind of a unique, crazy story. Usually, you don't. Somebody with seven kids doesn't usually achieve the success I've had. Mm. It's And I, but I, I've never really... Um, Again, Wayne Dyer, let's go back to him. After uh, your erroneous zones, I read The Sky's the Limit. And he, he has some fabulous books and his mindset and his way of thinking and The Sky's the Limit. Um, and I'm like, I don't have to settle for this. And that's probably my greatest advice for people is don't settle, like decide what you want and then figure out how to get it and talk to people. And if people are listening to this podcast, these are the kind of, these are my people because you're trying to figure it out. You're trying to figure it out. Um, I don't have it here. It's on my desk at the office. I have a Rubik's cube that I have. And a lot of times on my, I have a radio show I do. And there's a, somebody took a screenshot of me figuring out the, cause that's life is like your Rubik's cube. You just keep figuring it out. And yeah. if this doesn't work, you try this. And that's amazing. That's awesome. Yeah. And so cool. I, I'm digging the authentic authenticity in you as we speak. And I think I can totally see why people relate to that. That's awesome because we all have our own challenges that we have to get through and a polished speaker, somebody could sit there and just go, yeah, this sounds really cool, but I can't see me doing it. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. And you know, you mentioned earlier too something about your kids and you were saying, Hey, you know, a message to parents out there, your kids are listening to you. And um, I'm not a parent, so I can't speak from experience, but it's my belief that kids even more watch what parents do and they model what they do. And, you know, I've seen a lot of success with your kids. Obviously they're watching all of this stuff that was happening with you, with the Tupperware and how you were showing up as a mom and, you know, being a top 50 trainer in the world for direct sales, which is just huge. And they're just going, yeah, wow. And she's a, a single mom, seven kids. They, they knew. And you then know, look what happened. They were inspired. It, it's interesting. Uh, one of the moments in my life that I'll never forget is I was having this moment where I felt like, um, 
I just work too much. And I thought I, I turned myself into a workaholic. I, I'm working all the time. And so whatever reason, I sat everybody down and I was going to apologize to all the kids. I'm working too much. Probably some, I think somebody told me I work too much or you're a workaholic. You know, people say stuff all the time without really knowing what your real story is. Mm -hmm. But anyway, for whatever reason, it impacted me and I felt guilty. I know better, but I did. And I sat them all down and I remember telling him, you know what, you guys, I'm just sorry. I feel like I work too much. I was always working and maybe I should have been more present. And um, they were like appalled that I thought that. And I just remember <laughs> to this day, the looks on their faces. And I, I even remember Brian Lilly, my adopted son, he said, mom, that's probably one of the greatest things you ever taught us was how to hustle and go, mm. you know, and you mm -hmm. always like whatever we needed, you just went after it and you did what you had to do. And he said, I think we all learned that from you. And I really, in that moment, realized I had taught them an invaluable lesson, like teaching them how to hunt or fish or something uh, that they could survive because they saw me doing it. And so it just flipped for me, like something that I had been feeling a little guilty about, like, oh, wow, I, I was letting what somebody else told me um, impact my thinking. But what was good was that I addressed it with the kids and they like straightened me out like this. They were like, no, that was great. So. That's awesome. You know, something else that you said caught my attention too, and that was that you mentioned <clears throat> doing, uh, you know, you're coming from a place of experience and you're, when you're training and when you're speaking, it's literally, you're just telling people what your experience was because you've done it and you've been there. And, and um, I think that's a really, really good piece of advice for all of our freedom hackers out there that if you're going to get advice from somebody on something, they want to be a damn well, whole bunch better at it than you are. Um, quick example, you don't want to get um, fitness advice from a fat fitness instructor. So, and, and that's amazing. And that's awesome that, that you led in that position. But I think that's somewhere where a lot of people can go wrong. You know, just think about what your next door neighbor's position is in the conversation that he's having with you, because it doesn't always uh, mean that he really actually knows anything about it. So you've, um, you mentioned your radio show and that's a, it's, it's Janine via live, a positive talk show where you specialize in teaching, um, entrepreneurs, how to set up and successfully work from home while finding the right balance between family and business. How's that going right now? Well, it's crazy. It's going really good. And I, and I used to call it something different. Um, and then somebody else said, just use your name and just call it Janine Avila live. And, um, so I did, and I had a friend that had a radio, I used to do a radio show at the radio station where you used to have to go down there and do all the politics, if you know what goes with the radio show at the yeah. radio station. And I really didn't like all the radio politics and all of that stuff. Okay. And a friend of mine had a, an internet radio show and I'd done a couple of shows with them. And I was really passionate about teaching people how to work from home. Because uh, what I learned in my success in the industry of direct sales is some people don't, they just don't know how to work from home. Nobody teaches you that. Some people were really successful and some were super disorganized. They wouldn't even have a desk. Mm. So I started going, part of my success was I would go into their homes and say, where do you work? Well, oh, you need a corner. You know, I set desks up. I set a desk up on an ironing board once for a lady who had no space. I'm like, you need some dedicated space. 
And so I specialized in that. And again, I started studying it and I figured it out. And um, that was the secret to my growth and my success was making sure people knew how to work from home. And I love talking about that and teaching that. And it always comes back up. And when I had a guy, I'll say his name because he knows I've told this story a million times, named Michael Hurley. He lives in San Diego, California. And he's great personality, super smart, everything. And I, he wasn't getting traction. And I couldn't figure out why I couldn't get him off the ground. I was bringing him home from the airport one day. And I said, can I come in and see where you work? And he said, oh, my place is a mess. And I'm like, I don't care. I want to see where you work. This is critically important. So we went in and anyway, he didn't have, I've got all these cool before and after pictures. He didn't have any space to work. He had a typical bachelor pad, but he had a, a lap a laptop and that was it. He worked like wherever, but he didn't have a, a focused place and he had big goals. So if you're casual and you don't really care, but for him, it wasn't working. So he couldn't follow up with his customers. He couldn't, he couldn't focus. So we put a plan in place and he actually did one of my radio shows and said, Janine came over the next thing, you know, I'm going to Staples and I'm buying a bookcase. And who's, he was always quoting Muhammad Ali. So I said, go uh, uh, get a picture of Muhammad Ali and your favorite saying and put it there to motivate yourself. And he did all those things and he just started changing. And, um, and I got to do that over again. So I wanted to do the radio show because I thought this is something that people don't know. So I focused on this show and then the pandemic hit and then everybody's having to work from home and figure it out. So we got even busier with the radio show and, and we were having a blast helping people figure out how to work from home. So people, there's one thing when you plan to work from home and then all of a sudden everybody, we have this crazy situation that you know, like doesn't even, it doesn't matter what we think about it because I know there's a whole lot of controversy around it, mm -hmm. but it exists. And that's the reality. And if you have to work from home, you have to work from home. So figure it out. So we got busy helping people figure out how to increase their bandwidth because, you know, all of a sudden all the kids are at home. And um, so I expanded the show and got to really use my experience to expand the show. But the whole, the show is just for anybody who wants to work from home to figure out the most effective way to do it, no matter whether it's direct sales or their real estate or their whatever they do, the contractor and he's got a little office in the corner, just so that they can be more profitable. And most importantly, I want people to have peace around their business and not be stressed out. And it shouldn't be a burden. It should be something that you love. And this is my opinion, it should be something that you love. And then you can have a profitable experience um, of doing something you love and it's not just for the money it's like that whole you know do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life but you set yourself up for success is the way I believe and one of my worst irritations is when people will look at my setup or my situation and say oh wow you're lucky uh, and it's like luck is that what you think this is? Life doesn't have anything to do with it. I set this up. This is by design. Somebody just said to me two weeks ago, oh, you're lucky you live right here. And I'm like, that's not luck. That's I don't I even believe in luck. I don't, I don't, I just don't believe in luck at all. We create our circumstances, good and bad. And so exactly. you know, let's, let's just look at our life. And if, if we're not happy, we've got a few changes to make. And if we are happy, then, you know, we're on the right path. You know, I, I have a friend who's a great speaker. His name's Randy Gage. He's written a couple of books, but 25, 30 years ago, 
he said, you know, I was looking at my life and every every bad scene that happened, I was at the scene of the crime every time. That's what he said. <laughs> I was there one way or the other. I was at the scene of the crime and I'm like, you know, you got to listen to that because- I like the approach to some of those guys that were educating, you know, like 20, 30 years ago, Jim Rohns and, mm -hmm. you know, Les Browns, who I know you've rubbed, rubbed shoulders with as well, because you've been involved in that scene. Um, they've got such good messages to, to pass on, simple ways to look at things. Mm -hmm. um, what was your experience like rubbing shoulders with, with people like that? And wh wh who were some of the people that you've rubbed shoulders with? Well, it's kind of funny. Like I told you, I got to meet Wayne Dyer and because um, I had hired him to speak. And that's another whole story. But he was great. That was one of the greatest moments because he was really the first person that I ever read a personal development book. And, but Les Brown has actually become a good friend of mine mm -hmm. and he's, he's the real deal. And you get to know people I've traveled with Les Brown and he's as kind of, you know, the guy sweeping in the airport as he is to the CEO. He's just a good person, mm -hmm. but just the, the, the pure joy of being able to call him and, or him call me. My brother was killed in a, in a terrible accident, um, 12 years ago. And when I was on my way to the funeral, Les Brown called me and he said, oh, my God, I just heard what happened. And he was talking to me and encouraging me. And I remember thinking how how fortunate I was to have really good people like this in my life. And um, and Les Brown, Jim Rohn, I'll tell you a funny story about when I met Jim Rohn. I again hired him to speak because a lot of these were just people who had, they're the people that helped me, that built my character that taught me where to go because mm. I listened to these things totally. so I hired him to speak because I want to share with others what I've learned and I was real busy putting this convention together and then he came in the back door and I went to meet I was excited because I was thinking I'm actually going to meet Jim Rome. but then I was caught in all the busyness of everything so when he walked in he starts talking to me and he's like I came here in a camp so when he's talking to me I'm listening and then I realized, oh my God, he's talking to me. Cause I was so used to listening to him like for the yeah. lesson or the moral. And he's like, like so I came here in a cab. He was really asking me where he was, you know, it was how he was getting somewhere or something. But I was thinking I was listening, listening to and his I, thing. <laughs> I just remember how funny it was. And I told him and he started laughing. Um, but so Les Brown, Jim Rohn, uh, Wayne Dyer, I never actually met Tony Robbins, but I went to Jim Rohn's uh, funeral and memorial service. Mm -hmm. And this is just kind of a funny story. I was um, sitting there and I couldn't see because this big tall guy was in front of me. And I was like slightly irritated because I was trying to see and I was leaning around him and everything. And then when he stood up to clap, I'm like, oh my God, that's Tony Robbins. <laughs> he was, he's a great big tall guy. And he was like right in front of me. And I'm like, oh wow, that's it. So I said hello to him, but that was it. I don't know. I don't know Tony Robbins. Um, but, that, um, but it's, a, it's amazing if I'm looking at like the, the, the way things have happened and the, I suppose the butterfly effect by you making those choices and being involved in that world. And then I see the effects that it had on Brian Acosta. He shared a lot about that on uh, episode 19. Mm -hmm. Um, something I shared on that episode was that, you know, when my wife was working with Brian, um, she brought home Jim Rohn. And mm -hmm. she started playing it. And I'm like, who's this like Southern guy? Sounds like a preacher. Uh, yeah, what is this yep. stuff? You know, I was working on, I was trying to figure out the stock market back then. 
And, um, and I'm like, what is this? And Tiff just says, Hey, just give it a shot. 20 minutes. If you don't like it, you don't like it. I'll listen to it. And then, I mean, our life radically changed. We just, we, yeah. we went off on this crazy tangent and, um, you know, the rest is history and we've dedicated ourselves to a life of improvement and everything since then. And that's the butterfly effect from you. So that that's pretty cool. How about that? That is, that <laughs> is that's really cool. And yeah. I don't know if we have time, but I would love to tell you, because I think it's relevant, how I ended up meeting Les Brown. Yeah, let's go for it. Because yeah. um, I had, a, I was miserable. I just moved to Dallas. It was pouring down rain. My ex-husband was not coming and all this. I was ter terribly miserable. And I had decided I wasn't even going to go to work. I was depressed. And my daughter was in high school and she called this friend of mine that was a trainer and a speaker with me. And she said, I heard her, I was sitting in my room and I heard her say, I don't know what to do. My mom's crying and she won't get out of bed and she doesn't want to go to work. I'm like, ah, because like I sat up. It's like, she's exposing me. I'm supposed to be motivating everyone. And I sat up <laughs> and um, I said, who are you talking to? And she said, I called Jerry Clark. And uh, she said, should I have her listen to Tony Robbins or something? And Jerry said, no, he told her, she needs less brown. If you're if you're that miserable, you need less brown when you need to like really get out. She needs her ass. Get hungry. Yes. And so he drove in the rain and he gave me these two less brown tapes that he had. And again, I was like trying to act like I wasn't depressed, but I was. But anyway, so I listened to these. Well, fast forward 10 years, and I had never really heard Les Brown before. I knew who he was, but I hadn't heard him. So fast forward 10 years, another set of bad circumstances starts happening. And I'm in Oklahoma City and I have to move and I made a bunch of bad choices. And I'm like, it was snowing. It's like as bad as it can get. I'm walking through my garage and I step, I, I got fired. The only job I ever got fired from, I got fired from this job because I told off the owner because he was being dishonest. So he fired me. People that are dishonest don't like it when you tell them off and tell them the truth. So anyway, fired me. So I'm like, great, now I'm stuck in Oklahoma. So I'm walking through my garage and I step on a tape, a cassette tape. And I've been, I, don't, I didn't even listen to cassette tapes anymore, but I've been down and pick it up and it's this same Les Brown tape. Wow. And I'm like- That's destiny for sure. Right, I'm like, this is a sign, but I did have a cassette player in my car, but I didn't have one in the house. So I grabbed my grandson and I'm like, let's go for a ride. I wanna hear what this on this tape. I stick it in and I was like, the, the tape that was in my head was you got fired. You've been fired. You failed. You're, mm -hmm. You really screwed up your life. So I stick this tape in and right when I turn it on, he says, and then I got fired. And he said, and what I learned is when you're in a situation you shouldn't be in, God will move you out of it if you don't have enough yeah. guts to move yourself out. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, so I start rewinding. So I'm going around the block listening to all this. So I listen and listen and listen. And he's like, sometimes you got to reinvent yourself. So I'm listening to all this. And I literally, I was like, Rocky, I'm like, okay, let's move. Let's go get a U-Haul. We're going back to Cal. Like I just completely shook off all the mental baggage that I had put on myself. And um, it was that tape. So Five years later, I saw that he was speaking at a direct women selling event in LA. And I said, I'm going to, I want to go hear him speak. And if there's a chance I could meet him, all I wanted to do is say thank you for the contribution he made to my life. That's all I wanted. 
And when he got there, he was late and they said his flight was late and they, they introduced him and they said he hasn't even eaten. He came straight on stage and he gave this great speech. So afterwards people were lined up to shake his hand and all that. So I stood in line and he was in line for a long time talking to people. For whatever reason, I stepped out of line. I walked up behind him and I said, I was going to go get something to eat because we'd been in, we'd, we were all hungry. And um, so I said to him, um, excuse, he turned around and looked at me and I said, I'm going to get something to eat. And I said, hey, they said you didn't eat. And I said, I know you got to be hungry, but you got to be hungry. Can you get your sandwich? <laughs> and that's all what I said. And he goes, oh my God, yes. And so I brought a sandwich back from the shop and I went to hand it. I wasn't trying to cut. I went to hand it to his assistant to give to him. And he said, just a minute. And he came out of line and he came over to me and he said, what's your name? And I told him and uh, he gave me his phone number and he said, I want to know you. And he said, don't ever let me forget you. And there's a lesson here for salespeople because, and I said, okay, he said, I'm hard to reach, but I wanted, I want to know who you are. So you promised me you'll get a hold of me. And I said, yeah, I called Les Brown 37 times before I ever reached him. He never answered the phone. And I was leaving all these different kinds of messages. The reason I kept doing it, and this is, I think, why it was what's important here. I wasn't doing it because I was trying to get anything out of Les Brown. I was doing it because I made a commitment. He said, don't ever let me. I want to know you promise me you'll call me until you reach me. And so I did because I made a commitment. And I remember when I was driving home from church and I said, I'm going to call him one more time. By this time, my car could call for me. Yeah. And I was like, called him. And then he answered and he said, he said, Jenny, who are you? And he has this, um, you know, uh, all these things he says, and I would leave different things. And I'd say, sorry, I'm not trying to bug you, but you told me. So he said, who are you? And so I said, well, I, I brought you a sandwich when you flew into LA. He said, oh, so then he remembered. And then he said this, I can't talk right now because I'm doing the eulogy for uh, Martin Luther King's daughter, Yoli because she had just died. And he said, I'm at their house, but I wanted to answer your call because you've called so many times. And I thought, I better see what she wants. <laughs> I'm like, you're in Martin Luther King's house. <laughs> like, I was like, I said, okay. I, I was like full of gratitude that he even answered. And then he said, where do you live? And I said, I'm in California. He goes, I'll be in San Francisco. Can you come meet me there? So I did. And when we were sitting there, he said, now, what did you want? And I said, I don't want anything. I just wanted to say thank you to you. And he said, why are you here? And I said, because you asked me to come. You told me. And I reminded him. And then he said, wow, that's impressive. And we really have been lifelong friends since then. That was probably 20 some years ago. And um, it, it wasn't, it's just the way it happened. So I know that that's full of a lot of stuff, but um, it's, also, because I kept my commitment, I made a promise to him that I would, so I did. And it, an amazing it, story. Like, yeah. I don't know how many people would have gone through to, you know, calling 36, 37 times. It's just, you know, I mean, a lot of people get taken out on the first no or the first yeah. decline, let alone like three, 10, 30. That's, 
that's impressive. You were dedicated. I, well, you know, and I think the difference was I wasn't trying to get anything for me. I was trying to keep my word and I was being creative. Nothing irritates me more than when salespeople say, I think the third time I've left you three messages. It's like, that's annoying. I was being creative and say like, Les Brown has this, if you want to think bad enough to go out and fight for it, to work day and night for it to, you know, so I would say, well, I'm sorry I'm calling you so much, but if you want to think bad enough, so I was like, that was the last thing that tripped his trigger that made him answer my call because he was like, mm. who are you? And um, and so that's really what did it. But I think it's when it's not for me, it's about keeping your commitment or for a right reason, I guess, is where I'm really going with it. You were aligned authentically with what you were trying to achieve. Yeah. And the universe, I believe the universe opens up and, and provides yep. opportunities for us then. Totally. And if we're not and not on fire and not in alignment, then that's when we, we like, I believe personally yeah. that things don't work out. And I'm like, why didn't that work out? It's because yeah. it's not your destiny and it's not your alignment. And although you want it mentally, <laughs> you're just not where you need to be yet. Um, yeah. And, you that, know, and he's not a motivational speaker, but another person that's very interesting that I got to a real close relationship with, and it was the same kind of thing was Ken Shamrock. And, uh, you know, he's, you know, the world's most dangerous man. He's got a heart of gold and he's mm -hmm. great. And I met him through an accidental set of circumstances and we clicked and that's been another wonderful relationship. And, and I learned a lot about the heart of a fighter and a lot of the guys in MMA and what their stories are. And that's been another very rich and rewarding part of my life. That's beautiful. You know, I love hearing all of those stories. And even if it's something that I wouldn't do myself, like, you know, I like extreme stuff and outdoor things and, and adventures, but I'm just not into vertical rock climbing, but I love listening to stories of guys mm -hmm. who do it. And it's just so fascinating the way that we as human beings can overcome challenges and push ourselves through things. It's, that's amazing. Talking about that, there's one uh, last, uh, I suppose, major topic that I would like for you to cover for us. And that is you, you had uh, some medical setbacks and you, you'd had a stroke. And that I know that played like, a very significant role in your life for a while. And um, some things happened because of that. Do you, you feel comfortable sharing that with us? Yeah. Um, and that's the part where Jim Rohn again comes into play because uh, your life could be an example or a warning, and this could be a warning for people. And the other thing Jim Rohn said, wouldn't it be tragic if the mind was willing and the body wasn't able? And he's talking about taking care of yourself, obviously. And that's exactly what happened to me. I got very overweight and I wasn't taking care of myself. And I was, I was running all the red lights and, you know, working late and eating bad food and really not taking care of myself. And I had a stroke and I lost my speech. And it was like, I got stopped. I had no choice. I thought I was in one of my, Jerry Clark, my friend that brought me the Les Brown tape came to see me in the hospital. And he said, what did you learn here? <laughs> right, I'm in the hospital. I just had a stroke and he said, what have you learned? And I said, I learned I'm not invincible. Mm. And, um, and you learn that the hard way sometimes. And I did, and I had to teach myself to speak again. And I had to pay attention to, so that that wouldn't happen again. But how long, how long was it that you couldn't speak for? Uh, probably, um, I'm gonna say it was at least four or five months. I started retraining myself to speak because I had made CD, uh, not CDs, 
tapes, cassette tapes. Um, I had decided, in fact, it was my son, Brian, I was talking and he was very sad because talking has always been my wheelhouse. <laughs> and um, I literally couldn't speak and get my words out at all. And um, so I decided to just stop. I was using email to communicate with people and I would write my my sister used to tease me like the guy on a river runs through it and he would write on a chalkboard and I was using email and um, I decided to put uh, the cassette tape of a tape I had made and I put this on so I could hear myself because I'm like I'm gonna have to figure this out and I put it on and I the first thing I heard, everybody should have this experience. The first thing I heard my own self say was, it's not what happens to you in life, but it's how you respond to it. And then I said, it's fun when you learn how to do it. And I first thought, oh, shut up. Because I was like, here I am. Now I've had a stroke and I can't speak and all this. But I realized I was, I, I want to say I was brilliant enough to know that I should listen to myself and retrain my brain to speak the way I did, but that's not why I did it. I just wanted to hear what I sounded like. Like I missed my old self, if that makes sense. I just wanted to hear myself when I could talk. It was probably a pity move for myself. And uh, then I'm like, wait a minute, if I just listen to this all the time, maybe I could start, and so that's what I did. I had only made two tapes at that time. And I used to walk around, listen, I walked, Sony Walkman, remember those? I would walk around listening to that thing all the time. And I remember I was Brian's girlfriend at the time. Her name was Laura. You might know Laura. I think uh, Tiffany probably does. Uh, I was, I went to say something to Laura and she said, oh my God. And I said, what? And she said, you sounded just like your old self. She started crying because it was so emotional because it just happened. And so that's when I, I was like, wow, I, I did it. I figured it out because when I had my stroke, I was in the state of Texas and the company I was with, anyway, I, I moved back to California. So I screwed myself out of disability. I didn't have any way to okay. pay for like speech lessons or whatever it was I needed. Mm -hmm. So, um, and when you have a brain injury, you kind of need an advocate to show, help you get back on track because your brain's not working. But I didn't have that. Um, so anyway, I got I had enough going on that I, I was able to do that. And that's how I started talking again. And and then I'm like, all right, I'm going to share this with other people. And I've been passionate about helping people stay on track. And sometimes mm -hmm. somebody will say, oh, I have high blood pressure, but I don't take the medicine. I mean, I had a stroke because of that. You know, I'm like, you have to pay attention to your health. Yeah. And then I always quote Jim Rohn. What if the mind was willing and the body wasn't able? And, wow. you know, those things all happened to me. So now I have, I have a very different attitude. I'm not, oh, poor Brian, you know, he comes over here and he's like, oh, you're drinking coffee. You know, like I just drive him crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm because he's eating, he's eating, Brian's eating like 12 different ingredients a day. And literally that's it. It's, that's all he's having. He's got a super insane strict diet. And, you know, the thought yeah. of having coffee or pizza would just, <laughs> wouldn't happen right. for him in his world. Yeah. But he's been a great blessing and contribution to my life too, because it, I mean, and you know, him, he's super successful. He's super smart. And people will say, how does your son work? You know, cause he's always training and mm -hmm. you know running or riding a bike or doing something and i'm like yeah he just he gets up he he 
he literally does what I did to make my life work. I would get up earlier. So mm -hmm. I'd have the time to do the things I needed to do. And uh, he's been very successful and I, and I am very proud of him. And even though he's very extreme, he's pulled me a little better than I would have been. Um, because a lot of the time when I watched his podcast, I started doing better again afterwards. It impacted mm -hmm. me. And I, mm -hmm. sometimes he calls me and, and he, I'll say, I don't want to talk about your diet. And I want to hear what you're eating. He's like, huh? he'll tell you anyway. Brian doesn't care if you tell He's him. He's so passionate about it though. It, it is yeah. infectious and you, you kind of can't help it. Yeah, it is. I'd like to actually see him do more with it. I was really happy he did the podcast and I sent it out to people because I knew it would help impact them. Yeah, great stuff. So that's a wild ride that you had with your stroke. It was like four or five months where you couldn't speak. I, I'm curious, did you have an experience? Did like people treat you different when like when the stroke happened and you couldn't speak? Like what was that experience like? Oh, I'm so happy you asked me that question. It was interesting. It was um, because at some point my mind was working great. I just couldn't speak. That's why I could email and type. And uh, I had a terrible experience. People used to talk real slow to me because I would speak really slow because I was working so hard to try to get the words out. So people would talk to me really slow and that would drive me crazy just because my brain was working at full speed mm. and they'd be like, can you? And I'm like, <laughs> and I would say, you don't have to talk slow to me. But that wasn't disrespectful. They were trying to help me because they just mm. didn't understand. That's different. I went to Radio Shack, which has since gone out of business, and I may have caused it because <laughs> I've told this story <laughs> so many times. I went to Radio Shack to get batteries for my Walkman, and I went up to the counter, and I asked um, if, I, if they had AAA batteries or where they were or something. Well, the guy behind the counter thought that I was severely handicapped mentally. So he's, he said to me, uh, he started mocking me and he goes, nah, we had him up. he was mocking me. And mm -hmm. I'm like, he thinks, you know, and I looked at his name badge and he was like, just completely mocking me. And then he called me a retard. He said, over there, retard. And I'm like, oh my God, I was so pissed that they would, not because he talked to me that way, because I knew better, but that he would treat somebody like that. So mm. I, I got a piece of paper and I wrote, I looked at his name, it said Fred. And I wrote, Fred, you're finished at Radio Shack. And I handed it to him and it shocked him because he wouldn't have expected that. Cause, yeah. right? So I handed it to him, it went home, got on my computer, sent an email to Radio Shack corporate, did all this research emailed like 12 anyway fred got fired mm -hmm. um which i was glad he did because he would treat somebody that way but it gave me a little insight into people how people can treat somebody when mm -hmm. they think they can get away with it so that was one experience um the the other piece of it was when i started to get my speech back it was i think really encouraging to people because they saw me do it and they saw that i didn't give up and that I just kept trying and kept trying and trying different things until I figured it out. That's amazing. That's amazing. You've definitely come uh, overcome a lot of challenges and it's a super big inspiration. Um, out of all the experiences that you've had, how would you describe the ultimate freedom lifestyle for you? 
I think it's just being able to do what I want at like really do what I want. The ultimate freedom lifestyle is to have having it all. Like I think I have a poster in my office that says, teach an old dog new tricks, make pigs fly, find a needle in a haystack. Mm -hmm. And that to me is the ultimate freedom. When you know that to give Wayne Dyer the credit, the sky's the limit, that it's really is up to you. And I think there's freedom in that because I don't fall into fear. I'm not going to say I never have a bad day. That wouldn't be true, Mm -hmm. but I do know that it won't last. And I do know I can figure it out. And that's the freedom that if I say, I want to go to California next week, let's figure it out. I don't have to ask anybody. I just have to figure it out. Do I need the money? Do I need the time? What is it? And then organizing whatever it takes to do that. There's freedom in the fact that I can go see my mom and I can be at the kids sporting events. And if my son goes to an Ironman in Kona that I can go. And um, that's living the life I want to live and not feeling, not putting myself in a victim, like, well, I couldn't go, you know? And, and I had an incident where I did have a boss that wouldn't let me go to my granddaughter's graduation. And it was probably a a pivotal moment because I thought never again am I going to get myself in this position so just being able to have the freedom to be in a hospital room when one of my friends is there and I want to go see him or go to a funeral or give somebody money and have the freedom to know that it's a gift and I'm not here's the money but I got to have it back by Friday you know that you can just be the person you want to be or not, you know, or say, no, I don't think that's good for you. You need to figure it out, you know? And um, I guess that's what I'm talking about when I say the freedom to live life on your own terms. Beautiful. That's real freedom to me. And if you were to make this possible to bump into the 20 year old version of yourself, what Mm -hmm. would be the biggest piece of advice that you would give the 20 year old version of yourself? Mm, the biggest piece of advice would be pay attention to the people around you. Um, I am a strong believer in the circle, the people around you. Uh, You can waste a lot of time and you can be poorly influenced. Um, It's just, I have some very good relationships and I'm very, I have boundaries about who's in my inner circle Mm -hmm. because I protect my energy and I understand what that can do. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I keep myself strong. And um, I, I wish I had known that earlier in life. And the other thing, probably the biggest thing, I guess, is I would have said, don't overlook red flags. A red mm. flag is a red flag. Do not overlook them. Every red flag I overlooked in my uh, early dating relationship ultimately destroyed my marriage. Every red flag I overlooked in every bad business deal I ever had ultimately caused it to end there. So it wasn't that there people are giving you clues all the time. There's red flags. You just shouldn't overlook them. And yeah, I, I think there was a public speaker. I can't remember who he is. He was a, a pretty famous guy, but he ended up saying that if we, that any time something went wrong in our life, we can dial back the clock in our mind and remember one pivotal point when we got some kind of red warning flag yeah. and we stepped over it and yeah. we can just go and, and we know that choice 
and we can we can own that responsibility and that's that's pretty powerful um so for our freedom hack actually before i before i go on to that one there was one other thing that you were mentioning it's the people that we hang around i think it was jim Rohn that said we end up being the accumulation of the five people we hang out with one of the first things my wife and i tiffany and i cleaned house on when we were going through self-development is looking at the relationships in our life that were not super positive or maybe there was some negativity there and stuff like that limiting the amount of time we spent with those people didn't mean that we had to completely cut them out um, and then we, we ultimately wanted to look for higher profile people so we could be in that environment. But until we got to that environment, we were listening to like Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn and so much that they were like massive influences on our life. And we ended up becoming an accumulation of that because we, you know, we were spending like, you know, three, four, five hours a day listening to this stuff. And uh, so we, we don't have to go out there necessarily and replace with physical people straight away. We can do it by listening to podcasts like this, you know, mm-hmm. tuning into uh, Janine Avia live and uh, yeah. getting dialed in there as well. So um, <clears throat> for our freedom hackers out there that are looking to achieve financial time and location freedom and they're on their path there, what's the biggest piece of advice you could give those guys? I guess I'm going to say figure out exactly what you want because a lot of people really don't know when I have coaching clients a lot of times I'm like well what do you want and they want me to tell them what they want and I'm like no what do you want where what do you feel good about when you do and figure that out and then you know write it down and a lot of times people will I typed it in my phone it's not the same thing like physically write it out there's something different that happens in your brain when you write stuff out And then you look around and say, what are the resources I need? How am I going to do this? How am I going to get my freedom? But you have to know every piece of it. Even if you have to describe what a day in your your life looks like, um, I think that's step one. That's the secret to getting it. And then going to work and figuring out. It's hard work. you got to roll your sleeves up. I mean, a lot of people will say, well, you can just think about it. That's my opinion. you got to do both. Yeah, you got to um, hustle to, as well. You got to write it well. down and and then find out who do you want to listen to and take action. Who do you have to cut off? And you know, you said it. Um, I always talk about doing a, a friend's inventory, and I'll just take a piece of paper and I'll write down all the names of the people that I talk to every day. And then you put a plus or a minus next to their names. Do they? Mm-hmm. How do you feel? And you pay attention to the chemistry in your body. A cell phone's a great way. When somebody calls you now that we have caller ID and you see the name, how do you feel? You mm-hmm. feel positive or negative? And mm-hmm. it's like you said, you don't have to cut them off, especially if it's like your mother or your brother or whatever, but you have to pay attention. And if you get a negative feeling, that's not good for you overall. So you limit your time with that, those people and you fill it up with positive with somebody who makes you feel good or you you pipe that in if you listen to a podcast it's so easy now you can just tell alexa to play your audible um and yeah uh, that's that's amazing you know and for our listeners that um sorry alexa (laughs) stop she's trying to play i'm listening to this thing about elon musk so she was trying to play okay (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for, for, our, for our freedom hackers out right there now who want to get a little bit more clarity on their reason why and, and some help setting goals and designing their perfect day, uh, I actually recorded a freedom, freedom hack 
uh, I think it was episode number 31 or 32, just a couple of episodes ago that was on goal setting. So you can check out that video uh -huh. video and, and click the link and uh, there's a goal setting template there for you guys to get started on all of that. Um, well, I'll tell you what, Janine, it's been an absolute pressure to have you on the, on the show today. You are just an outstanding example of how to overcome challenges. You've got such a dialed mindset, but you're so grounded in authenticity that you really are just a real you and really appreciate that. I appreciate all the golden nuggets that you've left with this. Um, you know, before we take off here, is there any final words? No, I just thank you for giving me the opportunity to share some of these experiences I've had with people. And um, I guess it's just important to, to reflect and know that everything that happens to us is for a reason. We won't always figure it out. So just be lighthearted and don't take everything so serious. That's what I see people, especially right now, it's just like, don't take everything to heart. Like you didn't fail. It's not over. This is, you know, your story's not finished. Just keep, keep working on it. That's what I want to say. Beautiful. And how do our freedom hackers keep the conversation going with you, Janine? Um, I'm on the air every Thursday night at 7.30 PM central. I have a website, janineavila.com. And Avila is spelled A-V-I-L-A, -A, only one L. And I have a contact box there and I have a newsletter and I never ever do any, you know, I don't sell my newsletter list. I just have people I like to keep in touch with. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram Beautiful. is Janine Avila Live, Facebook, Janine Diaz Avila. You can find and me we there. And we can access your uh, Janine Avila Live through the uh, Janine Avila website? Yep, there's a, yep. down on the Beautiful. left-hand corner, there's a whole section. Uh, cool. dedicated to it beautiful excellent so for those Thank of you, you who want to follow up it's janineavia.com and we're going to have the links in the show notes whether you're listening to youtube or your favorite podcast platform so once again thank you very much for joining us today it's been an absolute pleasure this is freedom hack radio i'm your host bryce robertson and until next week live large and live free G'day, this is Bryce Robertson. I'm your host here at Freedom Hack Radio, and I truly, truly hope that you got a ton of value out of the episode that we just shared with you. And if you did, make sure to subscribe on your YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. Hit the notification button so you can find out about the next episodes as they come out. Because if you haven't achieved financial time and location freedom, you really need to be dialed in here. So make sure to subscribe and follow us along as you grow on your path to financial time and location freedom here at Freedom Hack Radio.